Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, coaches, before we get going today, I just wanted to thank you for all you've been doing to support this podcast, and we have an incredible lineup coming up here. We have just about every major college conference represented. We have a ton of FBS coaches, Division II coaches, Division III coaches, some great high school football coaches coming on the podcast to share with you and help you grow professionally during this time. I really appreciate all of you asking your questions on Twitter. Please follow me at Coach K Grabowski for our daily updates on our guests and your opportunity to ask questions. We will read them on the show and attribute those to you. Um, So please contribute to the show as much as you can. I'm excited to be joined on today's podcast by someone who's been here before and in some incredible stories, both from him on the podcast. We'll link to the past one as well as in his book, Gridiron Genius. That's former NFL GM, coach, three-time Super Bowl champion, Michael Lombardi. Coach, great to have you here. It's good to be back, Keith, and, and these times where I think coaches are, are wondering, like, what's to do and what next? You know, we all we all crave free time, and then we get it. We're not sure what to do with it. <laughs> well, I tell you what, Coach, I got plenty of things for them to listen to here because of guys like you taking the time, and you know, we'll get right into it. I have some questions from some of actually our former guests as well as our audience. So we'll just get right into those. And our first one comes from Andrew Coverdale. He's an 11 time champion, was at Trinity High School in Kentucky. He moved to St. Xavier here in Ohio. But his first question is if you were a high school coach, what kinds of protocols and routines would you put in place to make sure your staff was giving proper attention to the non obvious factors and not being misled by the typical decision making biases? Oh, that's a great question. You know, first of all, I I think that the best way to get away from bias is to reverse engineer something. So if you believe something's really to be true, and let's just take you believe Lee Harvey Oswald killed Kennedy, then you have to take the approach that Lee Harvey Oswald didn't kill Kennedy. You've got to reverse engineer it, and that takes you away from bias. The other thing you must do is you must submit. If you said to us, this play will work, okay, or we should pick this player, then you need to come out with the reasons, five reasons why this pick could be a disaster. If we pick this player, then why is it, what what could go wrong if we picked him? And you can't say, well, if we don't coach him well or we don't, 
you've got to be specific within the evaluation. So everything you do as a coach, you have to reverse engineer, you have to look at it from the opposite standpoint, and then you must always, you must always ask, what's the downside by doing something? And you've got to be brutally honest with it. And you've got to be completely biased. And you've got to have a rule that's, that permeates throughout your building that we're not going to talk to one another to have groupthink. That independent thinking is only survives through independence. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it was something actually that Andrew Coverdale, who had the question, brought up in a podcast he did with us. And he said for him, what's always been useful, and he called him an ombudsman, a contrarian, that he always had that guy who would take the opposite, would force them to think opposite, would challenge him on those things, and essentially he would get to that same place. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. That group think can become so dangerous, right? Sitting in those meeting rooms all day long or sitting there together watching film and not being able to get the different perspectives because everybody's seeing it and talking about it the same way. Exactly. And, and when you start to do that, you're, you're, you're going down the road. And what you have to do is, and I wrote about this for the Daily Coach, you almost have a contrarian thinker on your staff. And you have to be able to say, hey, tell me why this won't work. Tell, see, and this is what happens with coaches that put new plays in. They never ask what happens if the play breaks down. They steal a playoff tape. And they say, hey, I just watched the Broncos run this play. We should put this in. But they don't understand what could go wrong with the play. They don't break the play down. They can't figure out what could happen. And because of that, then they get into problems. Definitely agree with that. And you're going to like this next one. A little bit of a change up here. But Coach Coverdale also wants, wants to know, which of the enemies of the Corleone family would have made the best GM? Barzini, Salazzo, or Hyman Roth? Well, I think Hyman Roth was the best GM because he, he, was, he was able to orchestrate from behind the scenes and not think any, that he was operating behind the scenes. The key to power is to have it and not let anybody know you have it, right? And Hyman had it all. and He operated. He pulled everybody on those strings. But nobody really knew he had it. Everybody thought it was Barzini. Everybody thought it was Tatalia. Everybody thought it was somebody else, Salazza. But it was him. And that's the key. Is, is the key is to create this illusion that you don't have any and you have it all. And then you get more things done. So I, I think that's, that, that would be my vote. <laughs> it's a great answer. John Rice predicted that. He's a coach out in California. He says, Hyman Roth, non-threatening appearance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people always look at, you know, people always look at your appearance. They look at, you know, when you come in and you have to convince people that you have power or you're the smartest person in the room, then you're really, all you are is, is just basically a one-dayer. You're just a one-dayer. That's what they call it, Navy SEALs, guys that failed the Navy SEALs program. So when you join the Navy SEALs, right, what happens to you is you take, you can, everybody can pass the test, right? And it's always the guys that talk about how great they do on the test that basically never make it through. It's always the guy that, hey, I'm the best athlete. They always brag about it, but they never make it. Because when you gotta, when you got to tell people how powerful you are, you really don't have any power. Yep, yeah, I think you're right. I'm thinking of people who have done that in the past, and I think we all know that. So agree with you 100%. Moving our questions along, because I know you have uh, some limited time, Coach. Our next is from Coach Scott McCarty from Iowa. What advice do you have for small-scale programs? What's the one thing 
you think can turn around some of those smaller downtrodden programs that have been suffering for a while? Oh, I, I think the number one thing we have to do is, is, is when you're in a downtrodden program is you've you got to really work on player development. You've got to find a way to enhance your players to make them better. And one thing about player development, one size doesn't fit all. Like, you can't have your strength coach be the head coach. Like, you can't have that. You, you have to be the head coach. You've got to tell the strength coach what you want. He's got to have an opinion on what four or five exercises he needs to run. But basically – to turn a program around, a small program, say you don't have a strength coach, then we're going to do these five exercises. We're going to do deadlifts, cleans, squats. Everybody on this team's doing that. We're going to do this, and then we're going to have individual training. It starts with player development. When you look at any successful team, really, the success starts in April. It starts with the conditioning program and how you make players better. But not one size fits all. Some kids may be great at bench pressing, but they can't short show them. So you've got to modify everything you do. And the strength coach, have you ever met a strength coach who didn't think he had a great offseason? Of course not. Of course not. They all have, oh, everybody's in shape, everybody's doing great. But we're not ready to play football. We're not ready to play baseball. We're not ready to play a sport. So you've got to make sure as the CEO of the team, you've got to make sure that you have things in place that, that the players are getting better at their craft not just getting their bodies back. We're not competing for Mr. Olympic. Moving on to some questions here from Coach Adam Wilson from Georgia. He wanted to know what Bill Belichick and Bill Walsh looked for in young coaches that they were going to bring into their organization. I think that the model's pretty similar. They want smart people, right? They want smart people who are curious, who, who are willing to listen, most important. Listen, also willing to adapt to what you want them to do and follow orders completely. Like one thing about being working for coach Walsh and coach Belichick is you've got to be able to follow orders completely. What do you want? What do you want us to do? Fine. I got it. And then once they give you more responsibility, you're then able to branch off and do different things within the same framework and the same concept. So intelligence, you know, ability to stay to the course, consistency, those are the things they look for in coaches. They don't necessarily, intelligence does not have to be pertaining to the scheme of football. It has to be intelligence in terms of the life of football. For for those guys he would bring in, he, you were a, a young guy. He brought in uh, Drive Him Around, which, you know, you mentioned in your book is just a absolute great place to learn. But how did he develop the long, young coaches? How was it when you looked at back at him? What were the things he did to help develop you? The first thing he did was we're always going to make sure that you you read books about leadership. You know he you know I didn't know who Warren Bennis was. I had no idea who Peter Drucker was. I had no idea who Tom Peters was. But what Walsh wanted to do was to create learning outside of outside of the arena you live in to bring things back to the arena, learn something outside that these people that deal with leaders that they do with, and then bring it back. Have a book in your hand, learn something, spend 20 minutes a day learning something outside your craft, be open-minded to new ideas. You know, those are the things that, 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 that gravitated to me. I'm not looking to steal everybody's ideas. I'm looking to see how, what I learn and can apply it to what I'm doing. And I think that's been a life lesson that I've carried with me forever. 
Coach, as we look back on this last season, and uh, I could say your your podcast you did with us definitely were some high school coaches picking up on the middle eight and talking about that through the season that they were now using that concept of the middle eight. I saw it more and more this year used in college, and you know it's it's just prolific now in the NFL. Even with you know people who are commentating the game talking about it. Yeah, I mean even Chris Fowler talked about the middle yeah. eight. I love it. You know. I mean, I didn't yeah. know he invented it, but it was awesome. I love it. <laughs> so just uh, Coach Coach Eric Becker from Madison uh, Center, Connecticut, wanted to know if there's some more things you could share or more thoughts on controlling the middle eight as, you know, since you've written the book. Well, I think there's a lot, right? So I think, I think we have to get into – I think we talk about halftime adjustments quite a bit, but I think you have to save stuff for the second half and how it applies to the middle eight. I think if, if you want to control the middle eight, You've got to spend as much time on what your second half game plan is going to be. You've got to spend time keeping things from being called right away. Most coaches have a tendency to call their best stuff early. You know, run their best plays early, do this early. When in reality, being early doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the best thing. So patience is a virtue. Save something for the second half. Always have something new in the second half. So if you're going to say you want to run an under front, and, you know, and you've been an under team. So the second half, introduce maybe you want to play more over, or you're going to go to a little bit of a 34 that looks like an under, but it's really not. You know, or save an over. Or maybe you have an idea of how you wanted to protect something, but you have a different way to do it in the second half. And I'm not talking about being complex. I'm not talking about overwhelming the players with volume. I'm talking about running diff- the same play different ways, but uniquely and save it. No, and they can't adjust for it in the second half. See, what happens is we have halftime to adjust for what's going on, but we don't have another halftime to adjust for the third quarter. So the middle eight, I would really spend a lot of time on making sure I know what I'm going to run to start the second half but from offensively and defensively perspective. That would be one. Two, I would have a lot of different types of two-minute drills. I would have the three levels of two-minute drills. I would have a level where, okay, I'm okay. this is just normal. We're going to get in it. Now we're in hurry up. Now we're in speed up. Now we're in final two minutes, right? So I would practice the different tempos, right? And let because now the players are getting aware of what they're actually being asked to do, right? We're not in two minutes. Everybody just says two minutes. Well, what is two minutes? You know, are we in fast two minutes? Are we in slow two minutes? Are we trying to milk the clock? Where are we? We're in four minutes. What does that mean? Are we in fast four minutes? Are we in slow four minutes? So you got to have different variables. And so whether it's different play sets or different ways you do it, educate the team. Hey, look, when I say we're in slow two minutes, we will not snap the ball with five seconds left until five seconds is left on the play clock. When we're in fast two minutes, we're snapping the ball right away. And then you've got to set that up. And you've got to have those conditions, those platforms ready to go. And then you've got to do a really good job of understanding where the game's going and make sure you've got really good third down calls for the last four minutes of the first half. Because how do you lose the football? You don't convert a third down in the four minutes. So you've got to have it. That's three. Four, most important, all games come down to third and one. Third and one is the most critical play in football. It's how Super Bowls are won. It's how, how things get, how games change. You've got to have an extensive third and short package in every single game. And you've got to be able to execute. Those are the things I would do. 
Coach, on the other side of it, the defensive side, I've seen guys definitely understand what an offense is trying to do or what a team's trying to do with you know that middle eight, that final four minutes of the half. They're now u- utilizing timeouts. Your thoughts on you know using those timeouts to, I guess, get that advantage back or negate any score they might have with your own score? Well, I think this, I think it's really important, Keith, to understand who's in control and who's winning the game, right? And use your timeouts accordingly, right? Like, you know, the, the Patriots took a lot of this year. There's a game where they let the first half kind of like the Tennessee game. They kind of let, like, they were hanging on for dear life. And I think that Belichick felt like, look, let's just get it at halftime and see if we can get this thing. Let's manage this game. I, I think analytics are a part of our game. But I also think you've got to apply analytics to the situation. So sense the game. That's why if you're a young coach out there and your head's buried in your play sheet, like you've got to watch the game. If you're not watching the game, you can't make this is not you're not in a you're not an airplane. You're not running test things. You're not running stuff that you just naturally turn this on, turn that on. No, you've got to see the feel of the game. And then use the analytics to help you. If you don't think you can if you don't think you can stop them. You know, if you think it's going to be really hard to stop them, say, towards the end of that four minute, and if you're hanging on for dear life, why would you call a timeout? Why would you help that? One of the biggest plays, one of the most non-obvious plays in Super Bowl Forty Nine is Belichick not calling timeout. We talk about Malcolm Butler, and I wrote about it in the book. My next book is going to focus on why Belichick didn't call timeout, why he allowed that clock to keep going down. Because he saw this organization on the sideline. So instead of, instead of doing what, what we would call our tactic, which is doing something when there's something to do, right? Tactics are doing something when there's something to do. Strategy is doing something when there's nothing to do. Two different things. So the strategy and to see the non-obvious was to let that clock, don't let them get organized. The tactic would have been to call timeout. And so I think that's how you have to apply it. Ask yourself, am I utilizing strategy? Am I utilizing tactics here? Coach, when we look at the high school level uh, more and more, we talk about it a ton actually now on this podcast, the analytics, right? And being able to put something together that's going to help you make decisions for those high school programs who can't afford the book or don't necessarily have analysts in, in, you know, in their organization. What would be some of the, the key things to get started with, you, you would focus on if you were a high school coach? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's analytics, it's football, right? So analytics has to be, analytics has to be applied. Does this actually help us, right? So if I was a young coach, and if I was a young coach in high school, I would focus on, you know, the things I did really well, the things I didn't do very well. I would focus on that, and that would lead me to the analytics, right? That would lead me to what, what I need to do. And so, like, look, it's easy to say, you know, we need to get better at third down or we need to get better at something like that. Those are easy numbers to look at. But in terms of applied analytics in high school, I think you really apply it to yourself. Like, what are we doing really well? What are we not doing? And then take those things you're not doing well and spend time working on them in different ways. You know, and then maybe throw in some of the you can't do very well, but you're trying to copy somebody else's stuff. Like, really analyze yourself more than study the outside world because you can't really control it. You don't have enough time with your players to be able to control it, you know. 
And then I think you've got to really understand, like, we know this. Field goal kickers in high school are hard to come by, right? So, like, you got to know that, you know, I'm not kicking a field goal unless I can make the field goal, unless the, unless the game's on the line and things are broken. But I'm not calling a – I'm not – so what does that mean? So analyze what does that mean. That means I've got to have a ton of third and fourth down plays in my playbook because I know I'm not going to kick it. Coach, the last question we have for you is also from Coach Becker here, and I, I think uh, this could either be a, a very tough one or a very easy one for you. What's your favorite Springsteen song and why? This is a hard one, man. You know, like, I, 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 like, I go through such phases of it, you know, and so, like, I have always have a, t- a rolling top five. I would say Land of Hope and Dreams <laughs> is always going to be in my top five. Lately, I've been listening to Stolen Car. For some reason, I don't know why Stolen Cars resonate. Racing in the street. And then New York Serenade. If you go on YouTube, uh, he plays New York Serenade with the Roman Philharmonic Orchestra. It's fabulous, the violin section in it. So, I mean, that's like asking me which grandchild I like the best. It's hard. But (laughs) I would say probably if Land and Hope and Dreams comes on uh, E Street on my radio, it's probably going to get cranked up obviously loud. <laughs> Great answer, Coach. I know you're doing a lot out there right now, working on that second book. You got your podcast, Have the Daily Coach. How can our coaches find that stuff and uh, best interact with you as well? Well, I mean, if they have any questions, I mean, lately I had to close my direct message because, you know, I had some, I get, sometimes you just get people that are just ridiculous, you know, and they're, and, and especially during free agency, but typically I like to leave that open. And, you know, so usually on Twitter, you can connect with me. Instagram, you know, I don't check. I don't know how to do that as well as Twitter. So, you know, there I'm on Instagram. And, and then, you know, I mean, if you, you know, Twitter's the best way. But for me, I, I like to help any coach I could. The Daily Coach, we have an email there, too. So I think the Daily Coach would be something that all these coaches that listen to this program should should sign up for because it really helps you prepare yourself to lead your team, which is what you ultimately have to do. Yeah, and on Twitter, it's at M Lombardi NFL. Coach, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you have a tight schedule right now, but uh, as always, anytime you want to come on this podcast, you're welcome to. Thanks, Keith. I appreciate it. If you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes or your platform and give us a five-star rate. If you have a minute, write a review. We really appreciate it, and we will read your review on our highlight show that we do at the end of the week.